Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of Conversations. Z, it's been a little bit of time, but good to be back. We are talking about relationships, and we are talking about the Standard American Relationship, or SAR, which could be similar to SARS, like the South Asian Respiratory Syndrome. It could be SAR, like sorry, but whatever it is, it's in a bad, bad state. And we've been having these conversations quite a bit. Part of it is experiences that we've had, part is what we've observed, part is some of the people that you've worked with and the inability of men and women to connect outside of social media. So when we look at this, there are a few questions that come to my mind, or just a few observations that I'm going to throw out, and maybe you can grab onto some of these and run with them. The first is this idea of, do you really hate the people that you love? And it's this strange phenomenon that I've seen where you get really bad behavior amongst people that you should be closest to. So it's almost like there's a certain entitlement, and it's just because you're in this relationship with me, because you're part of my immediate family, you have to put up with all my bad behavior, all of my lunacy, all of my insecurity, all of my anger, my frustration, whatever it is, I'm going to take it out on those people who are closest to me. And one, it's just kind of bizarre, because in my mind, you would expect the opposite. You would expect the people that you care about the most, you would treat them the best, you would turn the home into something that's sacred. It's a respite from the rest of the world, from the chaos of the outside world. And you come in and you can be rejuvenated. You can feel that love. You can feel that positive energy. But somehow that gets flipped around. And maybe this has to do with the entitlement that we've been talking about, that the people around me, because they are around me, they have to put up with my behavior. So that's one thing that I've noticed. Another trend, which is weird, is people's attention span has disappeared. And we've talked about this on previous podcasts. Everyone's engaged in their phone all the time. Because they're engaged in the phone, there's no connection. It's like you could be sitting in the same room, but you're miles apart. And I see this with children. Children are just begging for the attention of their parents, but the parents are too distracted looking up sports scores or checking out CNN or Fox News or checking out the latest WhatsApp conversation from the group or Googling about some celebrity to figure out what Kanye West is doing. Stuff that's completely irrelevant. You know, maybe if you have some downtime and you want to kill the time, fine. But there's no urgency around it. There's nothing to be gained from that except to distract yourself from what's happening in the present moment. And it impacts relationships because suddenly you don't have a connection to those around you. It's like putting up a physical barrier. And in my experience, it's actually worse than not being there. It's worse having someone who's disengaged than not having that presence at all. And maybe part of it brings me to the third point, that when you're always checking and you're always looking for what's next and you're in your head, there's all this nervous energy. So it's this anxiety, it's a state of frenzy, and maybe it starts with the phone and it spills over, or maybe it's inherent and then it manifests because the phone is just one more thing that you have to check and one more thing that you have to do. But because people have all of this nervous energy it becomes very difficult to be around. It's very unsettling. You can't just sit down and relax and be at peace as you would hope. You would hope that you go back to your people, your family, your tribe, whatever it is, 
and you have some comfort. You've got some foundation, and from that you can recover, draw the energy that you need to go and battle the outside world and fight the fights that you need to. Uh, but instead, it's kind of like this assault because you're dealing with someone else's anxiety and their frenzy, and that puts everyone in this frenetic state. And it's kind of like a bomb that's about to explode because you get enough of that nervous energy and people just react. It's like, ah, oh my God, ah, there's drama, uh, there's anger, all kinds of crazy things come out. It's just not a very pleasant environment to be around. So those are some of my observations about uh, the SAR or the sorry state of affairs that we've been talking about. And then, of course, uh, this spills into intimacy. So you have a lack of intimacy and that creates additional problems. But Z, why don't you run with this? Uh, take this conversation, just share some of the some of the thoughts that you've had, or some of the experiences that that you've had working with people recently. Man, this is a, a big topic, and 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 we've aptly named it SAR, sorry, um, the standard American relationship or standard Western relationship, and it's just like the standard American diet is is bad. Uh, why? Because it's based on a disconnect from nature humanity and maybe it's the natural evolution of consumerism and maybe this relationship dilemma is a natural outcome of consumerism um, where we've moved from uh, human commerce and the intangibles of that to more tangible transactional interactions with people that have now infiltrated and become a part of every aspect of our life our diet, our nutrition, and our interaction with one another. So what we find scientifically is that people who have intimacy on a regular basis in their life, not only um, sexual intimacy, but hand-holding, touching someone who listens to you and looks in your face and engages you, your, um, your brain, that neurohumoral response, uh, as, as, as I've been uh, talking about lately, is the chemical in your body adjust to that. So the antidote to a day's stress, of horrific stress during the day, be it you a, a mortuary worker, a garbage man, a horrible office you're working in, uh, just whatever your job is that builds this high level of cortisol and toxic stress, which you can actually taste, that builds up the high levels of adrenaline and noradrenaline, which makes you more susceptible to cancer when you don't flush this out of your body. The antidote to that is oxytocin, vasopressin, and all the breeding and intimate hormones. So neurohumoral response is our brain's method of producing all these chemicals. That's what, that's what we live by. Our life is an LSD trip, right? Uh, everybody laugh, but it, it, it's, it's the way I'm putting it. Uh, we, we're producing psychotropic drugs all the time that we call life experience. When you're sad and depressed, you have low levels of dopamine and so forth. When you feel happy, you have higher levels of dopamine, serotonin. And it's all just different drugs going on in our body that are produced on how we're processing the world and experiencing the world. Our fight or flight mechanism is, is on full blast all the time. We're depleted of energy. So we're almost too tired to sleep. Many people are too tired to sleep. Average person now is getting five hours of sleep a night. We need at least seven hours to fend off disease, dementia, and all these other kinds of things as we age. So now you're seeing more and more dementia, radiological events, uh, such as the young man you're working with, 
who has brain lesions, Jante. He's working with a 30-year-old guy that's younger, I think a couple of years younger than Jante, that has radiological event where he has demyelinization of the brain. So you're seeing more and more of that in young people. And his came about around the time he broke up from a long-term relationship or a very um, deep relationship. So that disconnect basically exploded his brain. And he is suffering what looks like uh, dementia and Parkinson's and all kinds of things, right, Jay? And so we're seeing more and more of this. And so to have this really difficult conversation about relationships, I say difficult because it hits home with all of us are experiencing, if not the direct effect, but the smell of it, the, the radiation coming off of it, the, the gas coming off of it, right? Nobody can get away because we share this culture and this society together and we, our doors are wide open, just like we're living near a waste facility and our windows are open. None of us get away from it. I don't know one story of people that are not having some interesting challenges with relationships. And it's only through knowledge of what's going on and clarity that we can manage through it. And most people don't have the knowledge and clarity. It's like sourcing food. That's why I'm saying it's not unlike the bad diet. You can go eat healthy food, but if it's not sourced right, it's going to have the herbicides, the pesticides, and the GMO on it. So you think you're eating something healthy for you, but it's, it, it's not what you think it is. So you have to source a little deeper, which requires a lot more uh, consciousness, a little more effort, and a little more time. So when we're going through something, we don't even know we're doing it ourselves. And so when, you, when, when our topic of talking is, do the, do, do the people around you love you, or do they hate you, or even envy you? And what I mean by that is that there are really basic mechanisms in human relationships that, that make them healthy. And, and we'll talk about some of the most basic things, and we almost have to reference um, bygone relationships in a more simpler time. Again, I don't want to always speak that way and say, Things were better in the past because the past created the future. It created what we have now. So we have to take responsibility for the root. The root has to take responsibility for the fruit it's produced. So I'm not going to say, boy, back in the day it was great. There, there's a, a thing going around. They said good men come from hard times. And those good men make good times. Good times produce weak men. Weak men create hard times and the cycle completes. And hopefully, um, when we are more conscious, we get off the rat wheel of madness and we stop doing what we were doing over and over. We stop being insane and repeating the same behaviors. So with relationship things, what first happens is the general sense of entitlement, which you feel you have a right to somebody. When we hear about a lot of discussions on relationships, you'll hear these things that a person has a list of requirements they want from somebody. But they're not, they don't fulfill the list themselves. So you, 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 you're, you're some type of person who says, I want this person to be fit with three PhDs and blah, 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 and, and look only at me. And you basically have a GED and you have, a, you know, you, you have health, uh, you, you're competing with Lizzo uh, for the most unhealthy person in the world, and you have a bad attitude but you want something, you imagine yourself to be worthy of that without doing any work on yourselves. I was talking to a young man today, and, and uh, Caitlin and Jante were teasing me, 
and I was talking to this young man because they know him a different way than he talks to me. And I just wanted him to, he was telling me about his life and, and how he'd like a certain kind of relationship. But I noticed he didn't make eye contact with women. And I started, I, I asked a young woman here about that. And she was so unclear on how a man should approach her that wouldn't be offensive in this day and world that it was just complicated. It was just complicated. And so John Tay used a reference of an extreme reference of one of my nephews who's, who approaches women in a classically sleazy way. And he doesn't know he's sleazy, but he does it. And then this guy who basically doesn't even make eye contact, looks at the ground and just goes back to his computer and just says to hell with it. So is there, is there a happy medium? I, I, I remember what it felt like to be attracted to a woman. And if you just play a list of Luther Vanderoff songs, you'll understand the era that I came through. I remember, uh, yeah, you know, they just laugh the shit, but I remember, I remember being attracted to someone and trying to make myself presentable, worthy of her or interesting. And then to listen and then to wait and to connect and how good that felt. And then she would vibe me and as we got to know each other, share things. And what a wonderful feeling that was of that whole journey of connection. And nowadays, all of those things are regulated by the invisible committee, right? Is it, is it offensive? Is it toxic masculinity? Is it any of that? If you open the door for somebody, is that wrong? I saw a guy at the restaurant the other day opened the door for a woman, and she says, what the hell's that all about? And he had to explain that he was sorry for opening the door for her. Huh? No, I'm just saying, Jante, you know, if you got to think about it, it's too much. I mean, I used to, we used to look after our, our mothers. We looked after older people. We looked after girls in our lives. That doesn't exist anymore. That's all I'm saying. So now that we've, we created this, so whatever happened, it's not, it's, it's, it's not clear anymore. It, it represents something from the unknown committee that said, that's not good, this is the way it is. And we don't know if it's good or not unless the committee of the unknown, the TikTok, internet, whatever you heard says, this is bad behavior. And you can read about it every day. Oh, bad behavior. Men think this. And they talk about toxic masculinity, but there's no discussion of toxic femininity. The toxic feminine. There's just, they don't even realize what they're creating, you see? And so the very nature which we are now in opposition to is, you know, to show reverence for that that you're, you're, you adore. That's like, it's like, it's, it, it, it's the most fluid thing to do. I adore you, so I'm going to treat you a certain way. There is no committee discussing. And if you reject that adoration, I will accept that. It will be heavy in my heart, but I'll accept that. So now we move into relationship dynamics as they're evolving in this time. And so the idea of greeting your beloved at the end of a day in a warm and loving way has gone away too, because that's like chivalry. It's gone away. It's the other side of chivalry, that divine femininity. Uh, you recall a time when I remember uh, there was a time when a, a, a guy, a fellow, would rush home from his job just looking forward 
to being greeted by the woman in his life. Just look, you would just look forward to her. Man, I just, I just fought lions. I had a rough day today. And you're driving down the road, man, and, and you'd get home and you just were happy to see her. And you had a million things on your mind and they just went away when you walked through the door. They just went away. It was like home was a citadel of peace, warmth, and nourishment. And as the times have changed, you're both racing home at a certain time. Uh, you, 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 you're overscheduled. Uh, you trip through the door, whatever it is the guys are going through, and you get bombarded with more stress, whatever it happens to be. Because that reverence is, doesn't exist. That's part of maybe what they call toxic masculinity or classical roles or, or whatever it is. And all the old love songs talk about that. And, and for me, it's an interesting thing that it sounds so bizarre to you guys. I get it. I mean, that's a generational thing. And, and again, I don't want to get into nostalgia, only to say maybe we blew it. I, I don't know. But throughout history, you read these stories. Um, Khalil Gibran has a book with uh, love letters between him and Mary Haskell. So Mary Haskell was a woman who was a big fan of Khalil Gibran's writing, and she brought him to the United States to present his writings. And they got to know each other through letters. So mind you, this is the 1930s, 1940s. So letters went by ships. And they have a whole book of letters between them. And then when they finally met, Khalil Gibran had at one point in his life been uh, afflicted with tuberculosis. He was a skinny Lebanese guy. Mary Haskell, I think, was from Texas or something. She was a, st a pretty uh, large American woman, uh, probably closer to six feet. Khalil Gibran might have been five, six, five, seven. And she said when he saw, when she finally saw him, he appeared to be an eight-foot giant because her heart was so moved by him. And he saw her as an angel that consumed all things. So they weren't talking about material things. They were talking about the essence of each other. And she was so deep, if you ever, this is a, it's a book that you can find every now and then. If you read this book, she put in her will to not release those love letters for 50 years after her death. And on the 50th anniversary of her death, they released those love letters into a book. And you read that book and you feel like whatever you felt for somebody was a childhood crush compared to the love that they share with one another. And that thing inspires, and it's what I think gave us resilience. This isn't valued anymore. There is this constant competition, like everybody has a career, a competing career. You're competing for status at work. You're competing for relevance at home. As soon as you get through the door, whose day was more important? Uh, this is a common theme. Who is more relevant? Um, you almost forget why you even got with a person, right? Why do we even get with each other? Because you found, in most cases, and, and I could speak for myself, and Vin, you could speak for yourself, when you, when you find the person you're with, think about dating. Um, I don't know how these kids date now, but you look so forward to being with the person, and they are your antidote. That is the recharge from whatever else was going on in the world. It's that simple. 
And then because you're recharged, you can face the world better because you've been with them. And then at some point you decide that you are worth, what you give to me is worth more than you take from me. And I want to continue this. And then in order to do that, then we need to nurture that day. We need to nurture that style, that moment, that pace. But yet the faceless committee in the world pounds on you. If you're beloved or you are surrounded by dysfunctional people, uh, you develop the cultures of dysfunction. It invades the intimate culture. And you're no longer valuing that nurturing, safe place. Um, a relationship between a couple, and again, I'm a dinosaur, so I'm talking about men and women. Okay, All this other stuff is beyond my pay grade. So when you're with your beloved, everything else is a, of a lesser priority. It's kind of like when you talk about uh, security clearances in the military. You have classified, secret, top secret, and top secret need to know. Your family is your secret relationship. Your intimate partner is your top secret would need to know. They know things and you share things with them you don't share with anybody else. You expose yourself to them in a way that you really wouldn't want your mom and dad to see you or your brother and sister. Know you. That's what I mean. Top secret would need to know. And that is valued and it's precious and it's protected. These things are falling apart. They're, they're not existing anymore except in myth, legend, and in novel. And so we also know that the way humans have evolved and when what we can gather from literature and writing and art, that this is the way things have been for at least a few thousand years. And over the last 10, 20 years, this is changing, but our evolution doesn't move at this pace. We still have the chemical responses and secretions in our brains to respond positively to being loved on different levels. You have parental love, you have sibling and, and familiar and friendship love, and you have intimate love. And we have known scientifically and through clear, dispassionate research that when you have a loving home, you live longer. You're less likely to suffer diseases of all kind. When you have a partner, that is the way it is. That is not the way we want it to be, or somebody made it up. It's not a Democrat or Republican thing. It's not any of that. We, were evolved, we evolved that way, just as we evolved not to be able to digest X amount of sugar, we, we evolved a certain way to flourish certain ways and certain ways put us in decline. So valuing that person in your life that has chosen you and you have chosen them, to meet them as Khalil Gibran said, and even into with gratitude, it's the way nature did it. And we are now outside of nature. We're all GMO'd out. We're all herbicided out. And we're doing these things that are dysfunctional. So people are getting less sleep. Our bodies are less resilient. It takes longer to heal. We have more chronic diseases, infections of all kind. And the simple remedy is to love the one you're with, to touch them, to hold them, 
to take time out for them. And it's that simple. But simple is hard, right, Vin? Well, I don't know if simple is inherently hard. I guess it becomes hard because there's no example. I kind of think about my childhood and some of the issues that I had growing up and just the way that I felt about myself and my culture. And at times I was ashamed of my background. I look back and there's so much to be proud of, but I feel like I didn't have role models uh, who I could look at and say, wow, this person is strong. They're, they're fighters. They're going to express themselves and basically take a stand against the world for what they believe. I didn't find that until later in life. And I think just that environment that I had around me influenced the way that I thought about myself. And that to me feels like the challenge that we have now with relationships that I don't know if it's inherently hard. And I think a lot of people, if you ask them in the moment, do they like being touched? Do they like being listened to? Do they like being held? Do they like being loved? Do they want a calm home environment? Yeah, of course. Uh, You experience that and it's refreshing. It's like going through a desert and coming up to this crystal clear pool of water and everything you need is just right there. It just quenches your thirst. It refreshes you. But there's so much toxicity around. And again, Z, I don't know how much of this is the entitlement, how much is habit, how much is social media. I'm not really sure what's happened, but it just seems to be such a common phenomenon that this is the way that we've been taught to interact. We've been taught to control other people. Uh, We've been taught that life is about living a certain image. So we have to project a certain uh, view of our life to the world, Uh, kind of uh, the Instagram effect where you've got the perfect family, you're involved in the right events. I I look at what we do and I'm trying to orient my own family around this. We don't need to be out. We don't need to be participating in all this shit that brings us no value, that takes time. It's stressful. Just getting around the city is very difficult. It's getting more dangerous. Even if it's not dangerous, there's traffic. We were driving around the other day to some event. It's it's horrible. I feel like I'm in a war zone just driving around. I, I would rather stay at home and just spend time with a smaller number of people that I care about get some value out of that, build those connections, take myself away from danger and anxiety. But we're conditioned to do this. We're conditioned to go to the events, to go out to the dinners, to spend time with people where the sessions that we have just turn into an endless list of complaints. Let me talk about everything that's wrong with my life. Let me talk about how hard things are. Let me talk about how my needs aren't being met. And then these sessions, it's like then you come back to your partner and you look at all the ways that they've failed you instead of being grateful for what you have. So I really look at it, Z as a cultural problem. You know, it's almost that we've been programmed the wrong way and we've gotten away from this reverence and gratitude. Those are two words that keep on coming up, that if we revere both the conditions and the people themselves. So we've got gratitude for the people around us. We have a recognition that we're not entitled to it We have a recognition that we could lose this at any time. Uh, We have a reverence for the fact that we've all come together and we're all able to exist for a period of time in a mutually supportive environment. If you have that perspective, I feel like it's much easier to function. And And it's also like a big filter because that means that you can cut out all the stuff that's not important. 
you know what's important. You can focus on that. Anything that detracts from that core unit is something that either you cut out or you manage and you put limits around it. But if you lose that perspective and you fall, it's almost like a siren song. You know, you hear the call, oh, I should be doing something else. I should be going uh, to some other event. I should be checking into my emails and my WhatsApp groups and my Instagram. And what I have, it, it, maybe it just comes down to this, that what I have right in front of me isn't enough and I need more to satisfy whatever I'm lacking. And we've talked about that so much. I mean, that's such a big theme of the podcast, but as we're having this discussion, I just wonder, is it that simple? I mean, is that the reason that we've gotten away from family and we've gotten to a point where relationships are dysfunctional? Because our attention isn't here. Our attention isn't on what we have. There's no idea or sense of what we truly need. I mean, maybe there is intrinsically, but there's so much propaganda around it that we're unaware of what we need. We're unaware of what soothes the soul, of what recharges the spirit. So we're always looking for something else. And in looking for something else, we destroy that dynamic. We're not present. We're not giving attention to the people that we care about. We're disengaged. We're erupting in petty arguments. We've got this endless list of grievances. We've got requirements that can never be met. And then life sucks. I mean, it just turns into this hell. And it's like a cruel joke. You know, you end up with these relationships. You're supposed to get value out of being with someone else. Instead, it's like both sides have a chain on the other person. You've got a, an agreement where you have to be together and you're devoted to each other, but there's no intimacy. And yet you can't seek intimacy anywhere else because that's out of bounds. You've got to put up with someone's horrible behavior and just hear them screaming and yelling. <laughs> all the time. I mean, it's like being in, in hell. It's just awful. And I look at it, it's kind of funny because I think about how things work in my industry. You get to a point where you deal with the people who have money and they solve the problem with money. So you get situations where you've got couples and they've got families and they're basically apart. Uh, they're dysfunctional. Uh, they're not spending any time together. Uh, they've each got their own lives. Uh, the men typically are spending all their time at work and they're traveling and they've got their pied a terre and they've got their side piece or a couple of sugar babies that they're spending all their money on. Uh, the wife is going off to social events. They can't tolerate being in each other's company. So they minimize that interaction. And so I guess it's a situation that works, but it just seems like a waste. You know, it's kind of like there's a, one, there's a missed opportunity. Two, it just takes a lot of money and effort. <laughs> Three, it's not good for the rest of the family and for the kids because uh, they're not getting attention. So uh, those are just some of my thoughts. I don't know. Maybe you got some reaction to it or Jante and, and Caitlin. Uh, uh, but maybe it's as simple as getting back to that reverence and that gratitude. Yeah, I would say, again, Buddha consciousness. We're here for a short time. Whatever's going on, whatever technological breakthroughs, whatever money we'll make, money we'll lose, whatever happens, the, the greatest prize you'll have in this life is that you were loved, that you connected, that you existed. We look at, I was just looking at averages around the world of people's uh, intimate lives, which is a reflection of happiness and general contentment, right? And one of the saddest things that you read is in a place like Japan, where the healthy couples have sex 45 times a year. 
And 15% of the population is completely sexless or more because they say they just don't have time. So if you don't have time to connect to another person, what, what are you doing anyway? What, what's the, what are you doing? And there, there are biological and physiological consequences to just not holding hands, not being hugged. It's really, and I'm not even saying you have to be intimate, but just the fact that you show concern affects our chemistry. And we've gotten away from that. And then that translates into we're comfortable in that dysfunction, just like we get comfortable with our glycemic index being off when we're addicted to sugar or we're addicted to drugs. That becomes the low normal. That becomes our, 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 our baseline is to be high or screwed up. We get used to that barrenness. We used to call it barrenness. And then we build a world around that that is a very cold world, that we are more susceptible to mental illness because there's never a place that we can go where we're safe. So you wonder why there's so much rage and mental illness and hysteria. They used to call it hysteria, right? And so we have that people uh, just bitter and angry. And no matter how much uh, material success, you seem to be longing and wanting for something you don't realize it's for intimacy and closeness. And those people have gotten used to it. And then you hear the statistics on diseases of all kinds. And you ask, do you have somebody that cares about you? I was dropping my little one off at school the other day, and there's this uh, one of the, the administrators there, a real nice lady, and she's always greets you with just a glow. And I say to the woman, it's nice seeing you in the morning. You just glow. And she says, I'm really working on it. You know, I'm getting ready to go in for major cancer surgery. And um, I have to make it for my kids. I'm alone with my kids. I got to make it. So I'm practicing just being joyful and gracious and having gratitude. And I had no idea because I had a whole different thoughts about it. We had an encounter in administration I thought she was one of the school board hacks, but she ended up not being. She ended up being a cool lady. And so every day I make it a point to just talk to her. And now instead of her glowing when I see her, she would turn the glow up and she started, her eyes start to water. And she said, thank you so much for caring. And you could feel it like a magnetism, a vibration of sorrow. But it's not an ugly sorrow. It's an open heartedness, a human, a humanity to her. And then I told my wife, I said, man, she's going through a major cancer thing. And my wife said, okay, what can we do for her? And I said, I don't know, you know, but just to care, just to fucking care. I mean, that's how bad our world is now. And now we've brought that to our homes. So you have, I don't know how many people I've talked about who they have in no intimacy in their relationship or it's so transactional. Well, I'm mad at you today, or you didn't do something, so I'm going to withdraw intimacy. You know, this is going on normally. This is the normal behavior. That should not be a negotiating point. You guys probably, that should not be something that's negotiated. Is that when you, when you deny a person closeness, intimacy, you might as well deny them food and water. Whether you're young or old. When you see the older couples leaving here that are vibrant, what do you notice? 
their affection. We have Inga, 90-something years old, holding her boyfriend's hand. You tell her, wow, Inga, you're beautiful. She blushes, she glows. He's, he looks pride. He stands up straight up. Yeah, that's my girl. And he's beat cancer 10 times. And a big part of that scientifically is that he has love in his life. They found people in hospital rooms and the people that have a beloved near them, reaching for them, caring for them, they do better than somebody by themselves or alone. It's really simple. And some sort of way we've gotten so dysfunctional that we put that on the back burner. In cultures that have uh, a lot of prudish things and hang-ups about intimacy, there's a high level of prostitution, a high level of child abuse, child molestation. There are high levels of all manners of dysfunction because they have a mixed message on intimacy. And it's very twisted. And no one admires those cultures. Like when I was in Saudi Arabia, there were no women around. And the guys would say, well, women are for babies and boys are for fun, but we're not uh, into children. Well, what, did you just, what the hell did you just say? So they've made sickness, mental health and sickness, they have normalized it for the sake of profit and social order. See what I'm saying? And it's an evil, sick culture. Sorry, that's sick. We innately, we talked earlier, there's something in us as human beings that our very nature is to protect small children. We don't see them, we don't see them as objects of sensuality unless you're very sick. And you're so sick, as you mentioned, Jante, there's no place for you in civilized world. These people have no place in civilized world. On any planet, on any planet, on any, excuse me, on any country on this planet. It's very sickening. And so for us who are just going through our, our motions, it's something we all need to extend. I think all of our opt-outs, we have to really think about our relationship with our partners. And part of opting out and not being a part of the insanity is nurturing the environment in which you're in. I talked one time about home gardening. And that is similar, is that you can find in your beloved everything you need if people are willing. You have what's called the, the, intimate, the intimate culture, what's between you and them. And it's nobody else's business but yours. But whatever it is, it should nurture you so that you can face this world with a clear head, a clear mind. That's your home team. That's your home team. And so having the home team gives you that spiritual resilience when you're out here in the world dealing with all manners of people. Then you have your basic uh, central culture, which is amongst your friends and close partners, things like that. So it's that central, that place in the center, the core is your intimacy. And when you don't have that, you are like a child that has never been touched and you fail to thrive, that's never been fed, never been nurtured. You will fail to thrive. And you see people all around failing to thrive. We see it in the numbers of shootings going on. 
We see it in the numbers of outbursts of uncontrolled rage and anger of all kinds. We see it in the despair in people's faces. We see it in the long lingering effects of autoimmune disorders and diseases. We see what they call the long COVID. So people are scared to be around each other because of COVID. I don't want to get COVID. I've heard people say that. I don't go out anymore. I just like to be by myself. Well, you're not a trained hermit. You have to train yourself to be a hermit. You have to train yourself to be a renunciate, to be a, uh, to practice brahmachara, to withdraw your sexual energy completely. That's a training. That's a difficult training that is uh, something that very few people on earth are successful at. There are phenomena of the health that uh, they've found that this, the spermazoa not moving out of a man becomes carcinogenic within a week or so. So you're going to have a higher incident of uh, prostate and pancreatic cancer, things like this. You find women going into earlier and earlier menopause that have nothing to do with cancer or anything else. They're just shutting down. There are many women who are just shutting down. And that shutdown is presented in uh, hormone disruptions of all kinds, which cause other problems. You'll see the feminine form going away, the androgen levels raising up, so you have these raging, angry kind of eunuchs, whatever the female term for eunuchs is. You know, and so this is something we've bought into. And inversely, if you have all kinds of health issues, like the woman that, that I was talking about earlier, just people caring, and then that opening your heart to closeness is a remedy. It's a remedy. If you have had cancer or any of that, practicing intimacy, uh, having closeness, being warm with somebody, that's better than chemotherapy. Because you're, you're, that neurohumoral response in the brain is now going to produce the chemicals and additional chemicals you need to be healthy and well. <clears throat> it writes you in a certain way. For those people who are horribly lonely, we know that there are certain types of heart failure, the mechanical heart failure, that appear only in people with broken hearts, emotionally broken hearts, and physically broken hearts. They look exactly the same. What were you saying, Jay? Yeah. So, so when you have heart problems, they have related that directly to intimate pairing. What were you going to say about that, Jay? Um, so you said earlier... You were saying that the brute has to take responsibility for the fruit that it bears. And I think I can speak to some degree where, where this may have began or started. I would say as a young black man, but I think more so as a young man who grew up in a lower income neighborhood. And I saw it across my friend group. Kind of a twisted version of an echo from your era of the idea of toughness as a man. Because I grew up as... I can almost remember when that intimate parental love was withdrawn because it was a house of women raising a man in an environment that was innately dangerous. Mm -hmm. So it was, I need him to be tough to face the world. And that was me. That was all my friends. That was all the guys I called brothers. So toughness to us meant, okay, even intimacy is a weakness. 
So that means you, you got to cry, you go cry in your room alone. You have to deal with X, Y, Z. Cool, I'm going to figure it out, but I'm going to do it alone. The rage builds, you deal with it alone. Um, you know, there was never the outlet of I can go to my mother, my grandmother, my father. Most of us didn't have fathers. Um, older brother, I'm an only child. I didn't have an older brother to go to. So you kind of see that cycle. And now as it's built into the younger generations and they have access to weapons we didn't have access to. So you see the rise of school shootings and on and on. Um, I think that echo is kind of where it began, speaking from my experience. Well, you know, you say that, Jay, and it's just a wave of emotions ran over me because you're, you're in the generation of you're, you're, I'm, I'm like older than your dad. And I felt what you just said because my mother was a revolutionary, um, hard woman, had seen a lot. My dad and her didn't have the warmest of relationship and he was, of course, um, murdered when I was a kid. I have no memory of my mother comforting me. Zero, no memory. If I close my eyes and meditate on life, she taught me some great things, but I have no memory of that. And I was able to do enough work on myself to think about relationships, my journey through relationships. And there is a level of unhealthiness there that I was often, I was often repulsed by women who were nurturing. And I would always look for women who weren't nurturing and try to make them nurturing. And in the, in the late or the mid nineties, I met a therapist, a French woman who did archetype therapy and we were working together. And just for shits and giggles, I decided to do therapy with her. And I began to open up to her and I was going through the typical things that I went through in relationships where I would be in the company of a woman who was very nurturing. I had a lot of uh, casual girlfriends, always had a lot of women friends and friends with benefits. And it was easy. It was comfortable. It wasn't devastating because I had been in a few love affairs and when they ended the pain and the weight of those was very hard to address. So I would rather not be in love, so to say. I would rather not be that vested in relationships so that it would hurt me. So if they went or if I went, it was the whatever, at least in my thinking. But I left a trail of sad women because of my dysfunction. So I talked to this woman, we just started, she started sharing things and I started opening up in a way that I had never really opened up or knew I could. And I just described to her the relationships I was going through and the things I was going through in the challenge. And she said, you're trying to fix your mother. I never wanted to hear that. I realized that, that all of the women that I would say I was into or in love with were very similar in the sense that they had it, real issues with being open-hearted and being simply loving and nurturing. And that I would look for glimmers of nurturing from them and then amplify that. But if I was around women who were readily nurturing, comforting, um, loving, available, 
I would think they were weak and something was wrong with them because I had drank the Kool-Aid of the idea of the revolutionary feminist woman, the tough, hard, uh, same as a man. I'm, I'm on plural with a man on every level and women who are nurturing, taking care of their husbands and boyfriends, for some reason they're shallow and weak. As I matured in life and later on, it took me a long time, I truly learned to value it. It doesn't happen overnight because that normalcy habits of what you're raised with stay with you. Uh, they're like habits that are really hard to break. And so the loneliness of not being nurtured is like a slow death. And physiologically I learned, and you guys have seen me here on my down days, I get physically ill. But I always did, but I didn't know it because we were taught to be tough, that life is hard, so get used to it. Life is tough, life is hard, you'll never really get a break, don't trust happiness. Um, we, we didn't schedule vacations, we didn't go on trips just to go on trips, we went on trips to do work, to scout things out, right? And it's taken a long part of the lifetime to address that. I don't hold my, my familiar's responsibility because I had a grandmother who was very loving and had a very functional relationship. And she was my role model. But my mother's view of the world is very loud. It's a very loud view that I saw nurturing and kind and loving women who, get, who gain joy from loving. I didn't understand that. And when I lived in certain parts of Asia, I, I got to understood that. I got to meet people and talk to people that I really enjoy you enjoying me. I really enjoy being with you. And I don't, I'm not imagining a grander world because this moment that we share, I'm so grateful for it. It's so wonderful. It's such a wonderful time that let's just work on that. I always met people who had a career or wanted they had to be on the go and they got this new thing and they got to go and they got to go. And any type of relationship dynamic was kind of something you did when there was nothing else to do. When all the other important things are over, then we'll nurture, we'll uh, be sensual, we'll engage in that. And I thought that was normal, but it's not. It's unhealthy. It's toxic. It, it robs you of years of your life. It stifles creativity. All those things that your brain creates. You're not as creative. You're not as inspired. You look at couples that have been together a long time and they have a good rhythm. They will outlive most people. And, and for the outsider, it looks boring. And it should. It should. They're not going for the sake of going. Actually, everything else is kind of an annoying to them because they just want to be with each other. And they just go through the motions for everybody else. They're just fulfilling whatever duties they have to society so they can get to each other. I remember once an older couple told me, I said, yeah, you know, we're going on vacation. I said, where are you going? They said, home. We got a whole week just to be with each other. I was like, wow. I totally get it now. And so I think, Vin, we want to just look at all that. And I believe that we live in a time that is problematic where it seems that 
the people that you live with that's supposed to love you either envy you or hate you. And the meter to that is how much laughter is in your house. I would say the good metric is how much laughter and smiles are in your home. So I would like all of the opt-outs to measure that. When you return to your home in evening tude, we'll use Khalil Gibran's term, do you enter with gratitude and laughter and smile? Or before the door closes, are you hit and bombarded with more stress? There's another metric that my grandmother had when she would talk to people. She would always say, I always make the bed for my husband. I said, well, anybody can make a bed. She said, that's not the point. The ritual of making the bed represented when he came home and the world was over and when they got together and we were all put to bed, that there would be a comfortable and sacred place for them to be with each other that she had mindfully prepared. So who makes the bed? And it's not a male versus female thing. It's the ritual of saying, you know, I, I value you, I love you, I'm grateful for you in my life, and you're grateful for mine. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's within the private, intimate culture of them. And they had one of the most uh, richest and holistic and sustainable and beautiful relationship I ever known. And she could tell whenever she went to a woman's house, was the bed made? And was that space that they shared a sacred space? Just like an altar. You know, I have my altar, my, I have rituals, and I keep, I take care of it. And my grandmother told me that. Is the bed made? You follow me, Vin? Yeah, see, it actually brings up a point that I was thinking about. There's a whole service or devotional aspect to love. And maybe part of the reason that we go awry is we have an expectation that if you love someone, you either do or you don't. So if the love is there, then everything else falls into place. And you've got this relationship where everything works out perfectly and you want to spend all your time together, which is a fantasy. Uh, if you really want to make it work, it's kind of like what you said earlier, that it's not attending to a relationship when there's nothing left to do. It's treating it as a job in and of itself, that that's part of your ritual, that's part of your service. You have to make that effort. You have to engage with the other person. You have to carve out time, spend time with them, create limits in the rest of the world that you exist in, create those boundaries so you've got that sacred space. Uh, and if you do that and you nourish it and you nurture it, it'll flourish like a garden or like anything else that you tend to. But that effort has to be put in. And uh, just recapping some of the things we said, I think that's why your point about intimacy, withholding intimacy is, is terrible because that's a foundational aspect of a relationship. It shouldn't be something that you negotiate. Uh, looking for ways to engage with people. I mean, when we don't, I think it's very easy to go through life today not engaging at all. Uh, if you're at home, there are distractions on your cell phone. We're all walking around with something in the palm of our hand that's commanding our attention. If you're out in the world or maybe you're single, you're thinking about meeting other people, it's very easy to send messages on social media. And now we're moving to the metaverse and you can have even more engagement through video games or online, uh, but it's not a substitute. You actually have to go out, put in that effort and engage 
And if you do, the rewards are there and they're actually pretty immediate. I mean, it lifts your spirits immediately. There've been times when I've been stressed out and when I haven't been feeling good. I haven't felt like being part of whatever group I'm a, um, I happen to find myself in. But you put in a little bit of effort and you make some connections and you open yourself up and it completely transforms your outlook. It transforms the experience. But I think it requires that discipline. Uh, so maybe in closing, that's just what I would observe, that we need to treat this like more of a job. And we need that idea of service and continuous cultivation. Yeah, Vin, I like what you said, like duty is, is almost a bad word. The duty you have, I have a duty to my students uh, to present the best I can as their uh, teacher. I have a duty to the people that I work on their health with to advance my knowledge, to give them the best and most professional service I give, and I enjoy that duty, I face that duty nobly. I would say for all of us opt-outs, male, men and women both that are out there, and either you have a relationship, you work on a relationship, or whatever it is, uh, make it important to you. Um, for parents, uh, teach your sons and daughters to check their watch when they're with their beloved and say, you know, it's time for me to nurture that relationship. I can give so much of my time and energy to the world, but the most important thing and the most gracious uh, act I can do to show reverence is that I give that person who is part of me more time than I give the world that gives me very little back. Um, a lot of times mothers don't teach women the secrets of a healthy relationship. They don't teach them. Um, that if, you're, if your man is attracted to you and he finds you adorable and beauty, and a lot of women don't understand. They think about men as cheaters and all that kind of stuff. A lot of men just kind of go and find whatever they need to comfort themselves. A lot of times because it's, it's not there. I'm not saying there's a victim or a villain. It's just that men, are, men that I know tend to be very simple. Usually when they are in love, they're, they're, they're okay with that. It's usually when there is some dysfunction, nature pours a vacuum, both men and women both, I'm sure. So this idea that home is sacred, making the bed, you know, that's not a patrilineal or, or misogynistic thing. It's a ritual that, that, that you understand the male nature and he understands the feminine and that that, that is not a negotiating point that you really tell people, be it your family members or whatever, you know what, I gotta, I gotta call it a day because I wanna have good energy for the one who loves me. I don't wanna exhaust myself with all of you guys, especially if you have like single friends or habitually uh, dysfunctional single friends or you have people who are in miserable marriages and the more you partner with them, the more you become miserable. So you want to maybe think about the people you're around. Are they really caring for that? And then, fellas, you keep yourself up, keep yourself sharp, fit, keep yourself uh, uh, the, the, the image of provider or caregiver, whatever you did to get in it, do to maintain it, whatever it took for you to get there, start doing that. Think about when the relationship started and the same thing you did to get it, this is what you have to do to keep it. Right. If you made some weird changes and adjustments and things like that, you're not even the same person. You ask yourself, you're sitting there wondering why you ever got with this person or why are you even here? Um, that's not a good thing. So you want to go back 
to the foundational things, kind of like a job. You went on a job, you had a resume, you said, yeah, I'll be here every day at 8 o'clock, I'll do these things and that things, and that's how you started the job. Keep doing that and you'll keep your job. Keep doing those things and you'll keep your end of the bargain up. And that's on both parts. Uh, hit the gym. Uh, enjoy your femininity. Let him enjoy his masculinity. Communicate. Uh, be careful. Don't do whataboutism. Don't do that to each other. You did this to me, that did to me. Don't turn around and pout and say, I'm going to withdraw affection because I lost a fight with you or you confronted me a certain way about the bills or, or uh, vacations and somebody else did something. And also understand that men and women communicate different. Women talk way more than men. And all guys, I was taught years ago by granddad, just, go, just say okay to most things. And, and because you can't keep up with what women are saying. And women understand men are pretty simple. Oftentimes when we're sitting around quiet, doing nothing, we're not thinking about anything. It's not heavy. It's not a lot going on. We just love just like maybe, you know what I'm saying, Vin? Sometimes we just like are doing our thing. Maybe you're doing your writing. You're doing all that kind of thing. It, it, it's, it's just that's it. That's who we are. And if you want a man that, that's not like that, you probably are a lesbian. And you need to address that, but we're not less. We're not women, and 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 guys understand that, and so women understand that if he's with you, he likes girls, and so you being a girl is pretty cool, but it's weird and it's different, but we love it, right? And he's a dude, and it's weird, and he's different, but we love it, and that's it. Huh, Vin? Yeah, yeah Kayla and John are shaking their head. Last part, but, but wait, wait, yeah, Vin, yeah. Vin. Kaylin and Jonte are shaking their head because they think I'm all wrong, right? No, they just can't get any of this that I'm saying. They say, what about trannies? What about this and that? You know, and so it's, it's, it's pretty bizarre watching their reaction from this new generation. But anyway, that's it, man. All right, brother. Good conversation. We'll talk again soon. We'll hit another one soon. Let's try and get another one done this week because we're way behind. And we want to get as much as we can while we have Caitlin here because she's quiet quitting. And I gotta, we got to figure out a new person. Okay? Yeah. All right. All right. Sounds good. That's a new thing I learned. Okay. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.